am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome back, guys. This is Legendary Mindset, and I'm your host, Jake Richardson. Well, the last few weeks have been absolutely crazy for me. Uh, I've been extremely busy uh, between just, just clipping and, and picturing some stuff, but I just want to say thank you to all the listeners and, and all the support. It seems like everywhere I go, someone has something positive to say about the content we're putting out, and it's a really great feeling to know people enjoy it so much because I have a great time doing it. I had the opportunity to sit down with Glenn Hutto a couple weeks ago and have him tell a story and, and get a podcast recorded. And he's a no BS, straight up, you know, no hoopla kind of guy, and, and he's unlike anyone else. Uh, Glenn's story and the goats started, you know, a lot different than most people, and his mindset is so humble. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Texas? No. Uh, I was raised in Utopia, Texas. Utopia, Texas. In the edge of Uvalde County, between Utopia and Vanderpool, Texas. Tiny little town. There was 11 in my graduating class. I think a lot of people know that part of Texas for the Frio River. Is that right? Is that yeah, the Sabinal River runs through Utopia, but the Frio is just 15 miles away. Yeah. yeah. So what'd you do when you were young? What were your hobbies? Well, uh, my dad ranched, leased country there, and uh, by the time I was about 12, we started the, a calf roping, and so that was any spare time we had, that's what we did. Did you so, get pretty good at it? Uh, fair. Uh, we, we were either working or, or playing and roping, one or, the, you know, one or the other. We didn't do a whole lot of other activities. But Yeah. So did you do 4-H, FFA show at we all? We did. We did Angora goats, showed some market lambs. Uh, but primarily Angora goats is what we did. So you showed uh, them at like majors? Well, like... we showed at Uvalde and Kerrville. Kerrville was really the biggest Angora show back then. We went maybe to San Angelo a couple times, maybe once to San Antonio if I remember, but primarily Uvalde and Kerrville. Uvalde would have several hundred Angora goats in their show. Really? Yeah, and then Kerrville being the district show was the biggest Angora goat show that that I was aware of at the time, anyway. Was it like a terminal market show or like breeding no, goats? No, breeding goats. Oh, okay. we, we showed uh, commercial nannies, some registered nannies, and some bucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did you have early mentors and guys you looked up to and or something like that, the rodeo deal? Or did you just kind of well, use the rodeo as a hobby? Or? Uh, I guess I did. I, it's been so long ago, it's hard to even remember. Yeah. but. Uh, just uh, maybe some of those pro calf ropers at the time, but it was back in the 70s, early 80s, and uh, I, I loved calf roping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was uh, probably the only thing that I really, really enjoyed as a kid. Uh, and then went, went to college and roped calves at, at college, got a small scholarship out to Sol Ross, and uh, probably the, the biggest the most significant thing I ever did, I won the college national finals one year. So in you 80, were like good, 86. Like, you were competitive and yeah, way I was in on it. Pretty good. I was, not by today's standards, but I was I could handle a rope really good. I wasn't quite athletic enough, but I could really I could rope them around the neck really well. Yeah. So when you were younger and in college roping, what were your your goals like um, future wise? Did you want to rope for a really long time, or do you want to ranch, or what was? What was well, your plan? I, no, I. Uh, I grew up knowing that the roping was a hobby. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the same way we do with Mason now, is that it's for fun, it's for a hobby, it's, uh, it's something you do if you can afford it and if you have time. But I really, really loved it. Yeah. You know, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, so I, I, I really never wanted in high school as a graduate, I wouldn't have thought that I would have had anything to do with sheep or goats mm. when I got out because I didn't, I didn't think that's the life I wanted. Uh, I wanted some ag-related type job maybe, but uh, I didn't want to have to rely on the rainfall to make to a make living. Money, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not steady enough? But uh, so when I got out of college, 
uh, I took a job with the Texas Farm Bureau as a field representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked a 15 or 16 county area from Abilene down as far as Del Rio and out west. Uh, so I had a big area that I worked, mm-hmm. and I, I held that job for about 10 years. Uh, what was day-to-day at that job like? What was your Well, you were kind of the liaison between the state office in Waco and, the, and those county offices. Went to a lot of night board meetings. Mm-hmm. Each Just managed can- a lot of people? Uh, well, not really. Uh, you were just a PR guy between the, the state office and those counties. So you were, you were just uh, whatever programs were going on with Farm Bureau at the time, you know, the ag side of Farm Bureau, not the insurance, but the, the farm art organization. Well, you know, we were involved with promoting whatever programs that the Farm Bureau was working on. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a fun job, uh, a really good job for a single guy right out of college. Mm-hmm. Traveled a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and met lots of people, met a lot of really good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then during that time, I started buying and selling some sheep and goats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had moved here to this place we live on now. And uh, a really good friend of mine from Ozona that, that traded and bought lambs and kid goats uh, kind of got me into it. And so for years here, I bought lambs and kid goats, nannies, ewes, or just any kind of sheep or goat in the Sonora, El Dorado area over to Ozona mm-hmm. and Menard and around. So I know you worked for Rancher's Lamb. Was that part of the right. That thing? was later. That was yeah, later? that was later. That was, uh, I think that started in 97 maybe mm-hmm. with Rancher's Lamb. Uh, I had, had uh, decided I didn't like all the, the night meetings and everything that went with the Farm Bureau job. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, Robin and I were married, and, and that was right before Davis came along. And, and so I took the job. I was buying so many lambs and, and goats, I was actually making more money trading livestock than I was with my Farm Bureau job. And so I quit that and, and started buying packer lambs for Rancher's Lamb. I did that for about six or seven years, something like that. So yeah. let's jump back a second. How did how did you and Robin meet? Robert and I met, uh, I was helping a friend of mine work some cattle and we we had stopped for lunch and I was laying on the couch in his house and Robin was babysitting his brother-in-law's children and she came running in there to borrow something, I don't know what it was, and, and she came in and was talking to them and when she left, I said, "Who? Who's that girl? I want to meet that girl." And they said, "I'll call. You'll have to call Bonnie. That's the mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. She, she. That's her name is Robin. She babysits these kids. So, uh, I called over there. I said, "Who's that girl that was just over here?" <laughs> she said, "I'm not going to tell you. She's a nice girl. <laughs> She's and too nice. For you got to go to church if you want to. If you want to meet her." And I said, "Oh, I don't need to meet her that bad." <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, but I, I did go to church some, but uh, uh, a few weeks after that, then we were at a rope-in in San Angelo, uh, a goat rope-in actually, and uh, she came walking by. She was working for the stock show and rodeo in San Angelo at the time, and she came walking by, and I yelled at her, and we talked, and we've been together ever since. The rest yeah. is history. Yeah, the rest is history. And we did go to church together, by the way, now. What year did you guys get married? <laughs> 91. 91. Mm-hmm. So what happened? I understand there was something, an accident, right? Yeah. Kind of in there around that in, time. In 93, mm-hmm. uh, we had a severe car accident uh, south of San Angelo, six, seven miles maybe. Uh, we were making a quick trip up there, uh, and a drunk driver at four in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon September 17th of 93, a drunk driver passed out and and went across the center line and hit us head on. Uh, just just south of Angelo where Dorkey Road comes out right down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's homes there now, but at the time there wasn't. And uh, our pickup, according to the witnesses, went end over end three times in the bar ditch. Oh my gosh. Uh, people, people that had known us well, were held up in traffic for a couple of hours while they were getting me out of the truck and 
they didn't even recognize it as a Ford pickup. Really? We, were, we were in a red Ford pickup, and they, they, didn't, they couldn't even recognize that it was a pickup. Uh, Robin miraculously walked away from that. Uh, she was bruised up, but spent one night in the hospital for observations. Uh, it was a real, real God deal that mm. she wasn't killed. We both had on our seat belts, and we, we credit that partially with, with not dying in the wreck. Uh, it broke my back uh, where my belt goes across about the L3 and uh, crushed my left foot and ankle and cut my right leg basically off below the knee. Uh, it was hanging just by the part of the calf muscle. Really? Yeah. And uh, uh, they, it took them a long time to cut me out of the vehicle. So my parents had gotten all the way from Utopia up to San Angelo by the time they got me in there and were going to do what, whatever it was they were going to do to me. You know, they, they just knew I had internal injuries, and, which I didn't. Uh, all my injuries, you know, were just the back and the legs. But uh, uh, anyway, they were in a rush to do an exploratory surgery on me. And, and uh, they told my mom that they were going to have to amputate my right leg. And she refused to let them. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, I've still got a right leg. It doesn't work real good, but I've got one. Really? Yeah. So how did they... I mean, you're only attached by the calf muscle. How long did that take to heal? It or? took a long, long time. They, they drove a rod through that bone uh, and, and through the open space and then down into the lower bone. They had to cut the little, the small bone out. Uh, so I just have the one bone in my lower right leg now with a big rod through it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the little bone would never heal properly. Yeah. And so, so they, they did what... They waited a few days to see if there was any blood flow to my foot, and oddly enough, there was. Uh, and so then they started making plans to do this muscle flap graft, which comes it, part of the muscle that works my left shoulder blade. They took it out and sewed it down into my right leg and did a skin graft over that. And I've had, I mean, it was multiple surgeries to get all this done, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it's, it's a lot went into this. I mean, they were so certain that I was going to lose my right leg that they actually put it back on crooked. And they were just, you know, they were just basically doing it to appease my family, you know. And so a couple of years later, two or three years later, after walking around with my right foot pointed to the left, uh, they went back in and rebroke it, took the rod out, redid everything, and got it fairly straight. Uh, not straight, but a lot straighter than it was. That's crazy. Yeah. So what so, was going through your head? Were you thinking, you know, thank God I'm alive? Thank God Robin's okay? Or were you like, this is horrible, my life's over? Like, no, I, in fact, it was funny. You're, you're upside down, you know, crushed pickup, staring up into the afternoon sun. And the thoughts going through my mind were, once I knew Robin was okay, uh, at first, you know, I wasn't sure. And when she came to, then... You know, she was kind of hysterical, but she, it was obvious that she was okay, and she, she was able to work her way out of the pickup. And uh, I, my actual thoughts, I didn't realize how bad I was injured. I, I actually thought, you know, I bet this is going to be two or three weeks getting over this, you know. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea it was going to be the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, I was in the hospital seven weeks, I think, and then... Uh, we came home, I think, the ninth or tenth week, about the ninth week probably after the wreck mm -hmm. in a wheelchair. Uh, and then it was just a long, long recovery process, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with both, both legs badly broken and a back that was broken. I didn't ever have to have surgery on my back. And, and honestly, my back now probably doesn't bother me any more than most people's back bothers them mm -hmm. it, it's really been the least of my it healed on its own yeah it, it, they, it was a compression fracture and I wore a, a velcro plastic mold uh, for maybe I don't know a couple months or something and and uh, anytime I was not in bed I had to have that on mm -hmm. but it it hardened back up and they they told me I'd have a lot of back trouble because that vertebrae is is real lopsided but I really never have mm -hmm. it's been you know 
I don't know what what's that been 27 years or something or and it's it's really hadn't bothered me all that much my legs is is what bothers me yeah you know? so is this you know do you see it as like a second chance at life like or was it kind of just well, I just sort of see it as something that happened that was unfortunate, but you know you can't change it. Yeah. And I'm not dead, so. No. <laughs> you know? Thank goodness. So we uh, we just kind of try to carry on. You know, I worked for the Farm Bureau a few years after that, and then quit, and then yeah. did the, the rancher's lamb thing. Uh, so you still worked and went back and everything. Yeah. Or? Yeah. I worked. Uh, you know, they were really good to me. The Farm Bureau was really good to me. Uh, I never missed a paycheck. You know, they yeah. they took care of me. That 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 drunk driver, it, it killed him, but he had like minimum insurance coverage. I mean, there was nothing, nothing that he had. But uh, anyway, we we were able to survive that, and and uh, then I worked for Rancher's Lamb for a few years. Uh, but all that time, and the deal I made with them was that I could keep buying and selling livestock here at my place while I was buying fat lambs for ranchers' lamb. So I did that the whole time. Uh, during that time, Davis came along, and Robin quit her job when he was about a year old, I guess. And, uh, you know, we, we that was a, a nervous time for us with her quitting her teaching job. and and me with a job that really, we didn't know if it had much future or not to it. But during that time, we wound up building this home and, and everything went fine. And, and so Robin didn't work from the time Davis was a little bitty baby all the way up until Mason was about five years old. So, so she didn't teach school for those seven or eight years along in there maybe, something like that. And, and uh, that was some of the best times we've ever had. Yeah. Okay. So, were you raising any livestock, goats, in this point? Yeah, we we or? bought this place where we live. We have some other leased country, but we bought this section of land where we live. And you know, in Schleicher County, what are you going to do on a section of land to actually make any money? And yeah. so, I I, I didn't want to just have you know 125, 150 head of sheep here. I wanted wanted to do something and so I, I, I entertained I thought back then wool sheep were a big deal here and I thought about trying to raise uh, black-faced bucks just for the commercial breeders around here because there was always a good market for them and I but I really wasn't geared that way my I really liked the goats you know from my from my upbringing with the Angora goats I really liked goats and so I uh, somehow I, I got to be friends with with Ross Stoltz and and with Justin Jonas because Justin worked at the lamb plant also at Rancher's Lamb and and they were of course in the club lamb deal and and so they were telling me why don't you do some goats that goat deal's growing why don't you do goats and so I thought well I may just give it a try you know Davis was a brand new little baby and I thought well if nothing else I'll have me some some goats if he ever wants to show someday. Yeah, you know? just for him. Yeah, I yeah. never really thought about making a living doing it at that time. And and so, uh, uh, poor boy in it, the way I do everything. <laughs> I started buying does when I was sitting at the sale barns for the lamb plant, I had to go to San Angelo. And at that time, Junction had a goat sale every week. So mm -hmm. we killed lambs and goats at the, at the plant. So I would sit there at those two sales every week anyway so I just started buying nannies if I saw a group of nannies come through that had some red-headed decent looking nannies on them looked like boars yeah just kind of boar cross looking goats back then you know there wasn't very many really full-blood boars except a few breeders had them you yeah. know and the market uh, the show weather deal was really just getting going good and so I would buy a group of does. Sometimes I might buy a hundred does and take them home, go through them one by one. And sometimes I wouldn't find a single doe I wanted to keep. And then other times I might get four or five out of a group. Some weeks I might get 15 or 20 total and pick one or two out. Sometimes I might get a hundred and pick 
three or four out. Yeah, just sorting out the ones you like <clears throat> yeah, and then selling just, the rest. Just stuff that were kind of longer bodied for the time, maybe a little bit clubbier looking than the average, you know, something kind of high-headed. Just something just that for, for that time was a little better quality, always trying to keep them good on their legs. But just absolutely just trying to put together a good-looking herd of basically crossbred nannies mm -hmm. at the time. And so I put together about 120 or 25 head mm -hmm. over about a six-month <clears throat> period. How many did you have to sort through to get that 120, you think? Probably 1,200, okay. 1,300, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, maybe more than that, I'm really not sure. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, Bart Wilkinson, at the time had been raising a few show goats. I bought a handful of goats. Well, actually, I bought almost all of his goats. Uh, he he sold out, and and but I bought young, old, everything. Mm -hmm. So so out of that group of goats, I probably got twenty or so that I was able to keep. That would be, well, that would have been the biggest group of goats that I was able to keep. Yeah. Um, but I went through lots of goats to get to 125 goats. Yeah. Uh, and I was through my roping and my friendship with Johnny Powell. Well, I, I knew Claire Powell of Powell Holman Boar Goats, mm -hmm. and and so that was a natural place for me to go and look for bucks. For were they billies. pretty well established at that point? Oh yeah, good ones. Yeah, they were. They had been in, I guess, early on in the boar goat deal, mm -hmm. and uh, had boar goats that were maybe a little more modern than the average. Uh, good-looking boar goats to me anyway and yeah. and uh <clears throat> and she was willing to let me go out there and go through big bunches of bucks you know in the in the spring early summer when they would have those buck kids weaned well they might have 150 buck kids on feed and 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 she would let me go out there and and pick out a couple uh and I might have to go to the sale to buy them or something. They were mm -hmm. expensive for the time. I think the very first one we ever bought was $5,000. Really? And that would have probably been in about 99. Uh, I think I bought three bucks that first year. Would they be full bloods? Uh, they would they, be full bloods, yeah. Like registered that. full blood boars that I was putting on these. But we were trying to, we weren't, Ross Stultz helped me. Mm -hmm. And we weren't trying to get just the traditional buck. We were looking for something out on the edges, you know, mm -hmm. something that was way clubbier than the average buck in the pen, you know. Trying to make show weapons. Yeah, yeah. Something, you know, they were, uh, Ross was big on rib shape, uh, and I learned to appreciate that. And and so we, we would find bucks that I don't think a lot of people would have actually found. Yeah. Certainly the the full-blood boar breeders would yeah. have never picked them uh, but I was able to buy four or probably three to five bucks that first couple of years mm -hmm. that that did me some good on those crossbred nannies that were put together from the sale barns yeah so yeah. was Ross pretty involved in the show aspect of it or was he like a mentor or just a friend or well we were friends uh, he he ran the feedlot at, at uh, Menard mm -hmm. and so we dealt with them weekly uh, at Rancher's Lamb, and so we got to be friends. He's a he's a lot younger than me. I never really knew him growing up, but we got to be friends then. And so, what I did is, I don't do very many smart things, but I I knew that he knows everybody in the show deal, you know, from growing up, mm -hmm. the son of a county agent, and raised club lambs his whole life, and all that. So. I, I paid him a percentage to sell the weathers for me that first few years. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, he, if he called someone and said, hey, there's over here at El Dorado, there's a couple of weathers you need to come look at, they would just break their neck to get here. Where if I had called them, they'd have been like, now, who'd you say this is on the phone? <laughs> you know, and they would have never showed up. Yeah. And so... By doing that and, and having him involved early on, it, it allowed us to get some goats in some really good hands. Mm -hmm. and, and in 2002, we won Austin with a goat, a goat raised out of those sale barn nannies and one of those Palhoman billies. Billy Bob Muchagamba won Austin with one of our goats. Dang. Yeah. So I was going to ask, so 
those that offspring those first two years, was there just a couple of nice ones or were they pretty uniform, you know, good set? Well, there again, it's all for the time. If yeah, you look back on them now, they're terrible. Yeah, you know? but compared to everything else. But for the time, honestly, there were some pretty good weathers yeah. out of the group. Uh, at least they were very competitive weathers, mm -hmm. you know. And But what it really did for me is those first couple of sets of doe kids really mm -hmm. upgraded their mothers, mm -hmm. you know, uh, out of those bucks that we had spent so much time picking. Well, those doe kids were a vast improvement over their mothers. So a lot of those does didn't stay in that herd, but maybe two years. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them not even that long, you know. But, uh, yeah, as soon as we could, we, we rolled a bunch of doe kids back into the deal. So when did you start to realize that this was bigger than it you intended it and maybe that you could kind of lean this direction and focus on it more? Well, I remember we uh, I sent Ross with about five or six weathers. He was going down to to George West, and so I sent the goats with him. I didn't even go. Mm -hmm. It was maybe in, it was probably 2000, maybe 2001. And uh, he took these weathers down there and he called me on the phone and the sale was going on. And he said, listen to this auctioneer. And he was at 1100 bucks. And I'm like, $1,100? That's one of my goats selling for $1,100? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what it brought, about eleven, maybe eleven fifty, something like that. And I just remember thinking, this is crazy yeah. that a goat could bring that much money. You know, weather goat, you know. Were other people selling and, them for that at that point? Uh, not many. A few. Mm -hmm. A few were. Uh, uh, I'm sure that there were more than I realized, but that I was aware of, there weren't all that many. Uh, and so, like, I want to say that little group of weathers averaged maybe something like 950 or up close to $1,000. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, man, you know, if a guy had very many of these, you could make this work, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, uh, and that's about the same time we started doing embryo work. And, of course, our expenses shot, shot through the roof then. But uh, the goats got better. The goats got better. Yeah, the goats got better. And so I'd say Ross was involved pretty, pretty heavily in our deal for about the first five years of it, mm -hmm. something like that, uh, helping to sort out doe kids, helping to pair up matings, mm -hmm. uh, selling, selling weathers. And then, you know, after a few years go by, people just start calling me and and bypassing the middle guy, which you would expect them to do, you know. Yeah. And so over time, it kind of phased out. Uh, so did you kind of develop, I mean, you obviously, you know, you developed an eye. You you saw these things every day, and you kind of had a vision, you know, after yeah, five years of Ross being there, I, what was I do think so. Years? I remember looking at groups of weathers early on and just being cross-eyed, yeah. trying to see one from, the, from another. But after a couple years, then it began to make sense. And by the time we were done with our relationship there, as far as him helping with my herd, uh, I could see them, I think, pretty darn well. Mm -hmm. uh, I always liked having an extra set of eyes. You know, it was invaluable having him there anytime I was going to look at bucks or, or pairing up my matings. You know, we used to go through the does one at a time and, and decide which, you know, here's the bucks we have available. and. So which buck will complement her best? And that, it was good. It was time very well spent. Yeah. Yeah. But did you, right around that point, was there like an idea in your head, okay, this is what I want the goats to look like? In yeah. Future, this is where I want to go. What, what was yeah. that? Yeah. I, like? I, wanted, I wanted mine to be, I guess by today's standards, you'd call it exotic looking. Mm -hmm. But I wanted them high-headed, level. I really wasn't all that worried about extreme width, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're worried more about that now, but my my goats were always long and really cool looking from the side, really long necked and high headed. Mm -hmm. I think they walked really well, uh, with good rib shape. Yeah, you know, and and so that's kind of where we concentrated, and we stayed with that for several years. Uh, I may be jumping ahead now, but after a few years. I realized I needed a shot of just muscle in my goats. Uh, and we were looking at at the shows and then those little lightweight classes. Well, it, 
the Gallagher's had some competitive goats in the lightweight classes, little little stockier made, little mm -hmm. wider made goats. And so I did a trade with them. I let them use Rolex uh, on their goats, and I used their Freaky. That was a 900 son. Mm -hmm. I, I used their Freaky. I, I don't remember where they bought him, but anyway, we I, I used him, and they used Rolex. And uh, it was a good trade. Uh, the, the freaky genetics in my herd did me a lot of good. The, the Rolex in their herd did them a lot of good. Uh, that's where they were able to raise Snuffy, which okay. virtually all those champions for a few years were out of. How'd you end up with Rolex? Because I know he's still okay, he's well known. I've heard his name uh, a lot. Uh, uh, David, in his podcast, mentioned mm -hmm. that, that uh, I had used Tommy Morris's buck, El Comandante, mm -hmm. And he had an, uh, a son of him, number 66, and honestly, I can't even remember his name now, but uh, I borrowed that buck from Tommy. We were friends, uh, and I was able to raise. It, it, it's kind of a funny story. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, so I flushed a doe to Tommy's buck. Mm -hmm. I, I flushed a bingo daughter. I had used bingo of of Pal Holman's and I raised some good daughters out of him that early on in this deal. And so I flushed one of those daughters to Tommy's buck, number 66 was, was that buck. And I got, I believe I got five buck kids out of that. And what was so unique about those five buck kids is that when people would come and look, I left them all bucks and a different person liked a different buck. Nobody, like like David liked one buck. Irby Chandler liked a buck. Mm -hmm. uh, Kenneth Helms liked a buck. Cecil Book liked a buck. Sounds and I liked a buck. Yeah. yeah, everybody had a different favorite. And so one day I just got on the phone and I said, okay, I'm keeping one of these bucks and I'm keeping half interest in another one and I'm selling the rest of them. And in about 30 minutes, I sold them all over the phone. And, and I think they brought, if I remember right, and I, I could, my memory's not like some of these guys, but I think they all brought 7,500 mm -hmm. and all in about 30 minutes. But that felt good. And man, that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was really cool. Uh, and so Rolex is the one I kept mm -hmm. for me. I kept half of one that went to Kenneth Helms. Uh, and then Cecil Book got one, Irby got one, and David Garrett got one. Gotcha. So did yeah. you end up doing more buck trades and stuff with uh, the Gallagher's? And, and we did. We did it for several years. Uh, uh, we we did that for oh I don't know. We were able to raise Duke out of that deal, uh, which was out of their freaky and one of my one of my does that was a Rip daughter. Uh, we called that buck Rip his, his, on the mother's side. Uh, and so we swapped back and forth a little bit for a few years. Uh, and uh, as they began to have a lot of success and all, well, it, it was really good. A lot, of those, a lot of those kids were out of Snuffy, mm -hmm. you know, or descendants of him. And at that same time, we were having success, and, and a lot of those were out of their freaky line. So it was a deal that I think worked good for – for both, both sides, yeah, yeah. So where did Wingman come into all this? Was he out of well, this? Well, okay, line? so so uh, Wingman uh, is is a funny story. He he and Duke were exactly the same age, just within a few days of each other, and so Duke was out of the freaky buck, mm -hmm. and from birth he was just really good looking, just just really a handsome buck, yeah. level and wide and just. I've, I've still got, I think, on my phone pictures of him as a buck kid, and he looks, even today, he would look really good. Yeah. And so uh, then we had, I had borrowed a buck from Douglas Bean and Barney Fowler. Uh, Douglas sold Barney half interest in a buck. I can't remember what they called him. He was a little hairball, just a meaty little hairy little mm -hmm. buck, but kind of intriguing and so I had borrowed that buck from from those two guys and and so I got this bunch of kids out of him and one of the, my favorite nannies had quads and 
and one of the quads was a buck kid that was little and his right front leg was buckled to the inside, completely buckled around, like, like he couldn't even touch it to the ground. And so he was kind of cool looking other than that, mm -hmm. but we never, we didn't give him a lot of thought because he was deformed, yeah. you know? And so we weren't sure if it was a genetic thing or if it was just from being a quad and being wadded up inside yeah. his and mother. So we really weren't real sure, you know? And so, so Duke, uh, number 67 well he's gonna be the buck mm -hmm. you know that year and so we just threw wingman over there with him uh we called him wingman he was gonna be duke's wingman he was a <laughs> crippled everybody everybody would walk up to him and if he was standing there and they walked up on his left side they would say what is that one mm -hmm. and you'd say well he's deformed and he'd turn around and they'd see that There's leg and they're like oh crap and so we never castrated him because you know he he just wasn't going to sell as a weather. Mm -hmm. So we threw him over there with Duke, never never realizing that he would have a bigger impact by far than Duke ever thought about having on the, on the show weather deal. Yeah. And so uh, when he was a big old kid, that leg began to just straighten up. By the time he was four or five months old, that leg really wasn't all that noticeable. And uh, so that fall... Uh, Kedrick Miller saw him. He, Kedrick was pretty young at the time and still is, I guess. But <laughs> anyway, he, he wanted to own part of him, and I wouldn't sell him part of him. And uh, I said, oh, let's, let's get a kid crop out of him and see if they're crippled like he is, and let's just see what we've got. We might do it next year. So, so we bred him a little bit along with, with Duke, and uh, uh, his kids were really good. Mm -hmm. And, and by, by the time he was a yearling, you couldn't tell anything had ever been wrong with him. That leg was 100% straight. Sound. He, yeah, completely sound. His foot was fine. Everything was good. And um, so we didn't use him real heavy as a kid. We just used him a little because we weren't real sure what we had there. Uh, and, and so uh, we used Duke. The Gallaghers used Duke a lot more than I did. And when I got him back, he was crippled, so I didn't get to use him that first year. But anyway, uh, we Kedrick came back down here to buy does, and he saw Wingman again, and he just kept on. He said, I want to own half that buck. And mm -hmm. I said, okay. So, you know, in hindsight, I, I sold him this dirt, dirt cheap. I sold him half interest in him for $5,000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, even for that time, that was cheap, you know. Yeah, you knew you but I mean, I knew it was cheap. But that, but that one smart thing I did, I said, I'm going to sell you half interest in the in the buck, but you do a hundred percent of the driving. Yeah. And and so he would have to come get him, and then whenever I needed him back, he had to bring him back to me. And and I will say for him, he's he has held up his end of the deal he did a hundred percent of the drive in the That's whole time a lot of money. oh yeah yeah <laughs> and and that buck has has raised grand champions at virtually every show in yeah, the country definitely. Oh. you still have kids out of them and frozen semen and all that well i my semen tank ran dry the people that were servicing my tank uh ch it changed hands and they didn't let us know and it's my fault. I should have been checking it, but the semen that I had stored uh, all ruined. Oh my gosh! Uh, and so we we did collect him. I've got just a few straws left on him. Uh, it's not very good quality, but I do have a few straws that I may try to use. But you used very him for very a long time. We used him for years. Yeah, yeah, he he lived to be about seven and a half years old, almost eight years old, and and we used him every year up until the last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's Duke, Wingman, Rocky's in there as well. Rocky's in there, yeah. Rocky, Rocky is Brad? out of that snuffy of Gallagher's, you know, mm -hmm. which is which is out of my Rolex. So, yeah, that's that's one that was, you know, pretty tied to my to my deal. He was a really really good looking buck. In fact, our our uh, taco cat buck, mm -hmm. the black headed buck, is is a Rocky son. Uh, Rocky's kids. You know, Duke and Wingman's kids won won Texas majors, multiple Texas majors, and and then all over the Midwest. Uh, Rocky's 
never did raise a grand champion at a at a Texas major, but he got so close. So close. And, and you know how those shows go. There's yeah. a couple of times we believe he did raise the grand champion. <laughs> <laughs> the judge just didn't see it that way. But uh, anyway, he's, he has been really one of my very favorite bucks. His, mm-hmm. his daughters are really good. His, his weathers are really, really sellable. He's still alive now. He's, he's eight years old. Uh, but uh, that taco cat buck, it looks like he's, his kids are going to be really good too. Yeah. So. so we might jump back here just a second and talk about you know, your doe herd as it is today. So you said you, you put these does together from just a variety of places and sale barns, and you got those bucks from Powell Holman. Where does the do you start making your own you know your own doe families and keeping track of what's related to what and line stuff up or are you just kind of making goats and breeding phenotype to phenotype and, and rolling? Well, for several years we did kind of keep those families together and 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 try to do a little bit of genotype type breeding mm-hmm. and then but uh, Ross was big on on forgetting that and doing the phenotype, mm-hmm. which I and I absolutely believe is right. I. Uh, in this goat deal, the only thing I care about is what he looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care who his grandma was. I don't care how what anything about that. Uh, I've had people come and say, well, and, and, you know, you have a set of twins, and you like one a lot. Maybe you don't like the other one as much. And they, they say, well, I'll buy that twin because genetically they're the same thing. Well, I, I believe, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good one is the good one, and the good one's going to have the good babies. And... And so our deal is is has evolved over time into just being purely pairing up matings based on body style, body yeah. type, with with very little regard to to genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, our goats by now would have to be extremely inbred, uh, <laughs> but I mean uh, it, it's. It, whatever I mean, it's working. You mm-hmm. know, we've been as competitive the last couple of years as we've ever been. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely your goats don't look like anybody else's. No, they, they have, have a little bit look. different look. I, I believe that a that a class is one in the first five seconds that that judge looks at that goat. Mm-hmm. Not the whole show, but the class I think is one in a, in four or five seconds when he walks through the gate. I think those judges that know what they're doing see that animal. And when that class is done walking through the gate, they know which one is their favorite. Oh, yeah. And so maybe they have two or three that they want to go back and look at. But if you can have one that's striking when he walks through the gate, I just believe that you've got that's half the battle won right there. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and so that's where we've tried to go. You know, I, I keep those. I'm really, really picky about the does we keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kedrick and some of his friends have said, man, you, we go out here and they all look like show does. Well, that, they're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know. They're, that's what we're doing, you know. And I absolutely don't keep one because it's old so-and-so's baby. Mm-hmm. I just don't do it. Yeah. They have to pass the test, which is a sideways test, a coming at me test, and a walking away test. Sure. And if they fail any of those three, they're out. They're gone. Yeah, regardless of what they are. So what else? So I've heard some stories, but... There's some other things that are a priority to you, not only the show goat wise, but um, I've heard you know you kind of genetically line them up to where they have singles. Is that a thing, or or maybe are hardier, or, or well, no, maybe them so much as others, or anything I, like that. I really don't. I really don't do that. I, okay. I'm not sure. Where, was lying to me. I'm not sure that. when you where you heard that, but no, we we don't. I love a good set of twins on yeah. a big good nanny that can have that can raise them. Uh, that, if if you heard that from Reagan, he uh, pulled that out of thin air. <laughs> sounds sounds about right. We'll I'll have to fact check that with him and call him and be like, what the hell? Now I I don't in, I don't like having multiples, you know, three yeah. or fours. I don't I hate that, but I don't. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't. I I certainly don't. I don't try to discourage it, but yeah. a good set of twins is hard to beat. Definitely, especially the <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about this year. You guys had a really successful run at the Texas Majors. I think every single one of them you hung at least one banner or division or, or something close to right, it. Right, right. We, we started the year with Fort Worth, 
I think you guys had a division cha division champion. We did. I think didn't what Courtney have a class winner? Did she win a division? I don't. I don't know. I think she, she won. Her, I think she won a division. Yeah, she she did well. I remember that. Yeah, we didn't go. A lot of times we don't go to Fort Worth. Uh, it just doesn't really fit with our schedule, but. Uh, we have a district show at Kerrville that's important to us, and it's hard to make them both work for yeah. us. You know, we're, uh, I guess we're a stock show family, but we're not near as diehard a stock show family yeah. as a lot of people. We, we, li we like it, but we can do other things on a weekend, mm -hmm. too. So, so you, did you, how did you do at Kerrville? Did we did well. Uh, it, right? uh, one of the Humphrey girls had a reserve in a division with one of our goats, and then Mason won the heavy division. Uh, with a big goat that that had also uh, that we got back from New Mexico. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, and then and Spinrath. Spinrath also got part of a division, didn't he? The light, a light really good day. Yeah, yeah, it was a good day. Yeah. And then Courtney wins her division at San Angelo. Did you guys show at San Angelo? We did. Mason had the reserve grand there yeah. this year. Yeah. Reserve there, and then San Antonio. One San Antonio. Juan San Antonio with the little goat that, uh, oh, you know, we, we kept that goat with, with Slayton in mind. We actually kept three goats uh, with, with, with San Antonio in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I mean, it's no secret that, that, that Kenny Struby and I are good friends, you know, so mm -hmm. I've spent time in the, in the sheep and goat pens with him. And, and so we've showed the Slayton a couple times and, and got along good, but not, not great, but we got along good, you know, and, but we went, might, we might be third or fourth, you know, and, and I knew, I just always knew I, I can hit him. I got to just find the right goat. And I, and, and so we kept these three goats, uh, just for San Antonio. And, and then we kept what we thought was going to be our Houston goat. And we, anyway, uh, as time went on, we fed them through the fall. Well, this one that I was leaning toward taking to San Antonio wouldn't run on the track. And so, so I was going to try to run him with the four wheeler, which we used to do years ago. And, and we ran him two or three times and he ran pretty good down the road. We'd hot shot him, run him down mm -hmm. the road. And, and about the fourth or fifth time we did that, I ran over him. Oh my gosh. Broke, broke his right back leg. And so Mason was just furious with me. And I was mad at myself. I mean, it was 100% my fault. And yeah. it, what it did, there's a growth plate at the top of the hock, and it dislocated that growth plate. But it snapped back into position, so it, it wasn't just swinging. But he wouldn't put one ounce of weight on it. And so we took him to a vet. They x-rayed it. They said it was broken. Put him in a cast. Uh, we have a sound wave machine, and we borrowed a laser from, from a good friend of ours. So we did all these therapies on him, and, you know, we knew we weren't going to get him back in time for San Antonio, but we thought we might get to show him, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if nothing else, we're going to at least try these machines out and see how they work, yeah. you know, once and for all. So we didn't give up on him, but we had to go to Plan B on, on our San Antonio goat. And, and so... This, we had this smaller goat that just had tons of hair on him. And I kept saying, I don't think he's fleshy enough. I think he's too skinny. But so we, we had started drenching on him, which we normally don't even do. But we started drenching on him like a month, maybe five weeks prior to San Antonio, just on the off chance that we might take him. Mm -hmm. and, and all that time, I really believed he was too skinny to go. And so... We had the third goat that we were going to take to San Antonio, and so Mason washed the big, the bigger goat that we were planning on taking to San Antonio, and we sheared him, and he looked, he looked nice. He, he would have been competitive, but I said, wash and blow out that hairy, that littler goat, and Mason was, he was grumpy. He said, I don't want to show an 85-pound goat. <laughs> and I said, well, wash him and blow him out anyway. So he washed him and blew him out, and he would just look like a big old cotton ball. Yeah. So I started sharing him, and I took about five or six strokes, and Mason said, I'll show that 85-pound goat. <laughs> it was so funny, and, and, and I said, I think we're going to show this one right here. Yeah. Anyway, we shared him off and just were amazed that he was, he was so much better, so much more ready than we thought he would be. Yeah. He was just perfect in my eyes. I just love that goat. And so that immediately began, became the goat that we're gonna take to Slayton, mm -hmm. you know? And, and uh, I know it hit him really hard. I know when he walked through that gate, it hit him hard. I, 
I I just uh, and we were so blessed, you know. That and I, I I told Mason. He said, "Do you think he'll like him?" I said, "He's gonna love him, but he might have some there he likes better." Yeah. You know, but but he's not gonna miss him, and he's gonna like him. But now, is he good enough? I don't know. We're gonna find <laughs> out. And and he was. Thank God yeah. he was. And then he came back and won the carcass contest. That's so pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah. Impressive. How often does that happen? Not that, very that your grand champion is also the champion of the carcass contest. Probably do his weight probably helped him. It did, no doubt. Yeah, the big goats, the real big goats, they that they use that against them, you know, mm -hmm. their carcass weight, it goes against them. But no doubt he was the perfect size for that. Definitely. But he also was the champion. So mm -hmm. that was cool. And then a couple weeks, two, three weeks later, get into March and go to Houston. Went to Houston, made the sale. We took that the goat that we were thinking about going to San Antonio with down there. He wasn't powered up enough yeah, for Griner. Uh, and we knew it when we left the house. Uh, and so that still left us, that broke leg goat. That, and so we thought, well, you know, Austin. In hindsight, we should have just taken him to Griner. Mm -hmm. uh, but his leg, was, his leg was still sore. He looked really good. And we took him, we took him uh, to the Keep It Weird show, the Austin replacement show, and he won his class. He was very, very sore on that leg. Uh, you know, looking back on it, since it was just a jackpot, we, we should have given him some banamine or something for pain. He never would really drive for Mason. He would, he would give him just a couple of seconds and then twist off of that leg because it was sore. But he looked good, and he won his class, so that was kind of cool that, yeah. that we got that goat back on his feet. And you, one of y'all's goats got a piece of Houston as well, right? Oh, yeah, Courtney Thurman. Courtney Thurman uh, had a really good uh, Long John son, yeah. which is also a, you know, a Duke son, and uh, she was reserve grand. Yeah, that That's was cool. a big deal for us. That's a really close family with us, and, and for her to win reserve grand, that was, that was one of the cooler things that happened all year long, mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. Well, I think we've got most of uh, most of what we want to talk about covered. I, you got to go to town here in a little bit, uh, so we'll wrap it up. But yeah, thanks for sitting oh, down. Oh, thank me, you, thank you. It's fun. It's yeah. fun. Have a good time. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Glenn Hutto has been involved with the Weather Goats for as long as anybody, and his introduction into developing his doe herd and that whole story was incredible to me. The fact that he could turn sail barn females into an elite weather flock over the course of a few years is truly incredible. And the amount of knowledge and intelligence it takes as far as you know selection on breeding and culling systems to accomplish that is unmatched. And you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a really good buck story as I've said before, and his story about Wingman is, is one of those really good ones, you know, where it's something happened and it was out of your control that that, that ended up being you know your keeper buck and, and how well he worked, you know, is you know, something that you can get really excited about and, and it's always cool to hear. Uh, not only is he a legend in the showgoat game, but he's a legend among the stockmen in West Texas. Uh, he has a pattern of good animal husbandry and experience in the commercial livestock world that sets him apart from a lot of people. Uh, be sure to check out uh, Hutto Livestock's Facebook page. They're having their June weather sale on the 13th, uh, so be sure to give Glenn a call and, and make your way down to El Dorado to take a look at those. But I'll see you guys down the road. Thanks for listening. <laughs>